Hello, good morning, Life Church. Welcome. I'm glad you're with us again. Our desire is to help you find life in Jesus. And so we're glad you're with us once again. Today, I'm going to jump back into the shark infested waters of politics again. We started last week on why Christians should vote, and today we're carrying on our series. I think it's important that the church gives divine biblical guidance and orientation on every subject, including politics and government. The Bible says in Isaiah 5.13, it says, Therefore my people go into exile for lack of knowledge. An interesting word there with exile, which is a political term, meaning they were being forced uh, by government oppression out. And it says, my people go into exile. They're being, they're being pushed out by government because of a lack of knowledge. So church, I want you to know that I humbly stand here today as your pastor, yet boldly declaring and equipping and educating our church on God and country. So thank you for tuning in today. My topic today that we're going to be talking about is how Christians should vote. How Christians should vote. I promise I will not tell you who you should vote for. That is not in my, uh, my venue as a pastor. I want to teach us though today how we can vote. And so let me make it real simple for us today. If you're taking notes, you can just think of it like this when it comes to how a Christian should vote. Every Christian should vote according to biblical values. Boom, that's it. <laughs> the sermon could be over right there if we all just figured that out. Um, but hey, you know, there's a lot more to talk about than just that. So, um, so let's, let's dive in a little deeper on how every Christian could vote. I wanna start out by saying to us that your first priority is not to the Republican Party or the Democratic Party or the Libertarian Party. Your first and highest priority as a believer is to the kingdom of God. We are Christians far above any political party. But that helps shape the way we vote. And so write this down with me, church, if you wanna get the, the full context of how a Christian could vote. Every voting choice you exercise ought to be for the candidate, platform, party, or policy that best represents the values of the kingdom of God. The values, we want to vote according to the values of the kingdom of God. As a Christian, you and I, we have a responsibility to cast our vote and we want to understand the values and the principles of God and compare those to the platforms that the candidates have and whom we will be voting for. To simply walk into a voting booth, just to head in there and vote um, without being informed, to vote um, just like the way your parents always voted or the way your buddies vote or, or to vote just by the way you have always voted in the past, I think is um, neglecting your one of your most important uh, Christian rights in America, 
and that's to vote according to biblical values. To vote according to the values of the kingdom is not only for the betterment of America, but it's for the advancement of the kingdom of God. And so I believe voting is important and we should determine our vote based on biblical principles. So in order to get that right, I wanna talk to you today to begin with about a biblical worldview. Now, everyone has a biblical worldview. You have one, whether you realize it or not, we all do. Um, And a biblical worldview, I mean, I'm sorry, just a a worldview is just simply the way we see things. I mean, we all, just, just the way we see life. And for most people, that is shaped out of, from our family experiences, from where we grew up, um, it's, fa- it's um, determined based on what we watch, what we listen to music-wise. All of those things help shape our worldview. There's a better way, though, than just having a worldview, and that is a biblical worldview. And so you'll see on the screen the definition of that, and you can kind of think about this, but a biblical worldview is how we view our life, culture, and our world based on truth, principles, and values from the Bible. Like we, we derive our view of life through the lens of the Bible. Now in the book of Romans chapter 12, verse two, it kind of gives us a framework for that. And it says, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so it's teaching us that we don't want to live according to the patterns and the customs of the world. We don't want our mindset. We don't want to filter life through the culture. We want to be transformed in our minds, in our beliefs, and here's what it says, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So in other words, Christians, we do not allow the values of the world to become our personal values. We must think and act according to God's perfect will that is revealed through the word of God. And so Christians, we think biblically. So I want to take a moment just as way of a comparison, just to teach a little bit more about a biblical worldview because it's so important as we approach our voting. And so if you'll look at a a thought or a definition here of biblical worldview and how that works out in our life, and I would say a biblical worldview looks like this. It's God's word that transforms my beliefs, which determines my actions, So there's just a flow there. So it's God's word. So as I study God's word, as I make God the the priority of my life, Jesus is a center of my life, then that becomes my belief system. That becomes the values that I live from. And that then determines my actions. And I live out of the values of the Bible. Now, on the other side of that equation would be a worldview. And a worldview begins with me. It's, it's a humanistic way of life. It thinks that I form my beliefs. Whatever is true for me is just true. It doesn't have any grounding for it. I can just make up whatever I want to be true because if it's true to me, it's just truth. Well, that's not truth, but a worldview is just shaped by whatever is happening in their life and whatever you want to believe. And so a worldview looks like this. I form my own beliefs which determines my own actions. A worldview comes from what we would call moral relativism. Let me give you a definition of that. I know I'm giving you a lot of definitions and a lot of facts right now. Stay with me. All this ties together for how we should vote. Moral relativism is the belief 
that there are no absolutes or objective standards for moral values which are used to determine right and wrong. And so moral relativism is just, I just pick whatever I want to be right, whatever I want to be truth, and that is truth to me. And there is no moral standard that sets truth and sets what is right and wrong. As Christians, though, we believe something completely different. We believe that there are moral absolutes and standards. We believe there are values which determine right and wrong, and those values come from God, and we learn about them in his word. And so, listen, a worldview, a biblical worldview, is important because we vote according to our values that are shaped by God. A a biblical worldview is important because we believe that God's ways are always better than my ways. God's ways, God's standards, God's morals are better than the ones that I would come up with. Listen, if I had to look within myself to find moral standards, I would look to someone who has fallen, someone who lives out of error at times, and therefore my system of belief would be broken. That's why I believe that God's ways, God's standards are best for us. It says it in Isaiah 55, eight through nine. It says, for my thoughts, and this is, this is God's words. This is God to us. He says, God's words are not our, sorry, God's thoughts are not our thoughts, nor are my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's ways are better for us. His standards are are better for us. His moral absolutes are better for us. His truth is better for us. It's better for how we live and it's better for America as well. So why is a biblical worldview important in voting? Mainly because we don't want to step into that voting registration booth or that voter booth with a secular mindset. We cannot separate secular and sacred. We are Christians at all times. And so we are Christians when we are in church. We are Christians when we're in school. We're, in, we're Christians when we're at work. We're Christians at all times. And we're Christians when we step into a voting booth. So many Christians start with the wrong question in mind when they are trying to decide how to pick their president. And they think about who they should vote for rather than the most important question would be is how they should vote. So listen, if you were to ask me, you're say, Pastor Tim, um, I need help in my marriage. Let me tell you what I would do. I would search for biblical principles from the word of God to find your help. That's where I would start. The best advice I can give anyone on any subject of life comes from the Bible. So if you were to ask me about divorce or money or parenting or friendships or hope or purpose, I would turn to the, to the Bible to present God's way because I believe, I genuinely believe that God's ways are better than my ways. And everything that we face in life, there is a biblical answer for it. God's ways are right. His ways are yes and amen. I believe that the Bible holds the final and authoritative answer on all of life's concerns. 
And that's when we step into the voting booth with the confidence that God is directing us and we are voting according to biblical values. But yet, here's what happens all too often when it comes to politics and elections. Far too many Christians spend more time appealing to family, history, tradition, minority viewpoints, and personal preferences than they do to what the Bible says. And we have got to take the word of God into the voting booth. We vote according to a biblical worldview, not just a worldview, but a biblical worldview. View. Scripture is complete, it is true, and it is authoritative for how we should vote as Christians and how we want our government to operate. And so with that in mind, that biblical worldview, we are going to vote out of our, our convictions as Christians. Uh, this is the, the purest way for us to vote as believers. I want to step into a few issues to highlight how the biblical worldview lays over these issues. And so they're probably gonna be some common issues to you. Uh, and so I just wanna step into some of those for just a minute. For a minute. But um, before I do, I just want to say to you that I think it's more important to vote for the platform rather than the personality. The platform, because those are the issues. It's the platforms it's that, that sets the policies and the laws that are set into place that, that lead our country, take our country in a certain direction. And those are the laws and the policies that impact our lives. So when you're picking a president, it's not a personality contest. It's about the issues and the direction of our country. So the first issue I want to talk about for just a few minutes is, is I vote for religious liberties. I vote for religious liberties. And so that would be a biblical worldview. We need and want religious liberties in our country. Fortunately, we are granted that as a right here in America. The First Amendment of the Constitution of the United States says this, and you can see it on the screen. It says, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. And so we are protected under this First Amendment to the freedom of religion. And so what does this mean though? Because there's a lot of, I think, um, peer pressure from culture to shut down the church. And often this whole section of the First Amendment gets a little bit uh, maybe foggy in our minds. So what does this clause mean for us? What does this amendment mean for us as believers? Well, let's, let's start with this. It means that our government cannot establish a nationally mandated religion. So our government cannot force or, or show favoritism to any religion in America. It also means that people are free to worship or not worship, and people are free to worship any religion that they choose. It's freedom, from, it's freedom of religion, and that's an important part for us. If you look in Scripture, uh, there's never a time that the Bible forces anyone to become a follower of Jesus Christ. Our faith is not a forced faith. We live in free will and we choose whether or not we want to make Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. And our government cannot force any religion upon anyone. Our government cannot restrict the free exercise of worship. That's what that's telling us. It can't restrict it. So it can enforce it, but it also cannot restrict it. 
Fortunately, in North Carolina during COVID-19, a state judge ruled in favor of the church in North Carolina in a lawsuit, allowing us to meet when our current governor made it unlawful for churches to meet. I really appreciate a judge that followed the constitution. That's awesome, awesome. Currently though, around the United States, there are several states who are in battles with their state governors to be able to meet and worship. They have, they have selectively opened some establishments of business, but in some places they have tried to cause the church to not be able to meet. So there is a battle for that religious liberty happening in America today. Government cannot force non-biblical ideologies upon the church or business. Listen, so first of all, the government can't establish religion. It can't restrict it. And it also cannot force non-biblical ideologies upon the churches or businesses in our country. Such as, as an example, the government cannot force a pastor to officiate a same-sex marriage if same-sex marriage is not in the word of God, which would be how we would believe. And so the government cannot enforce its, its mandates upon the church in that way. So what else does this First Amendment mean? What else is in there for us to know? Well, what it does not mean, it does not mean that the church cannot have a voice or participation in politics or government. It does not separate us from being involved in government. <clears throat> There's a popular term, and I know you've heard it, and it's been used often, and they say separation of church and state. I do want to remind you that that particular statement is not in the Constitution of the United States. It was written by Thomas Jefferson in a letter to the Baptist Association assuring them of their freedom to worship. And so it had nothing to do with keeping the church silent. Today, so often, culture wants to silence the church. They want to use that phrase to say something like, don't bring your faith into the public square of politics. Well, the church has freedom of speech. The church has freedom of opinion. And the church has the freedom to vote for policies that are consistent with biblical values. That is in the First Amendment of the Constitution of the United States. So how does that impact our voting? What does that mean to us? Well, I believe that the church and the word of God has the right to be heard and vote on issues that reflect our biblical values and we get to vote against policies that do not reflect our biblical values. So as an example, I think things such as should the LGBTQT be taught in elementary schools? I think that's a topic that we should get to vote on and have an opinion on that. That goes against what we would believe as believers. Another thought would be like, should a Supreme Court judge be discriminated against because he or she is a Christian? We would absolutely emphatically say no to that. Or maybe we would step into an arena like, should abortion be legal? or should tax dollars fund abortions? Listen, these are huge issues that are facing our country today. 
And our constitution provides the freedom of religion, not freedom from religion. We have freedom of, we are free to to worship, we are free to express ourselves, we are free to vote, and we are not free from, we are not eliminated. There is not a wall that separates our Christian values from politics. Christians, you're free to vote, you're free to exercise your influence in society based on biblical values. So a vote for us, a vote for me, a vote, I vote yes for religious liberties. It's a vote for a platform that promotes the freedom to safely express Christian values in public, at work, and in politics. It is voting for a platform that doesn't force the approval and the use of unbiblical values and laws upon its people. I vote for religious liberties, amen. Awesome, so let's step into a second issue today in the shark infested waters. (laughs) Uh, This is so great. Listen, this isn't hard if it's biblical. It's not even political if it's in the Bible, it's biblical. My second issue I'll mention today is that I am voting for the right to life of an unborn baby. Those who favor the legality of abortion on demand are making a choice against God's law not to take an innocent human being's life. That's God's law. We don't take another's life. Since 1973, the United States has killed over 70 million viable children in the womb. This is abortion by choice and on demand. Now, let's just for a moment, for the sake of this discussion, let's take the 1% of the abortions that are needed to stop a pregnancy due to the endangerment of a mother's life. Less than 1% fall into that category. And honestly, I understand that. We understand that. And when the situation is where the little baby is causing something to happen inside a mother that would kill her, then a difficult, but I would say in, in some hard way, understandable decision is made. But church, Listen, that's less than 1%. When we're talking about abortion by choice, that one category, less than 1%. Another tough situation that often comes up is in the case of rape or incest. And so what do we do with that? Let's just say for the sake of this discussion today that we take that particular situation off the table as well. That is less than 1% as well. Which means that of the 100% of the abortions, somewhere less than four, probably less than 2% of all abortions fall into those difficult categories. Which means that there's probably well over 60 million babies who are aborted since 1973 that have been aborted for non-emergency reasons. It could be things like out of convenience. 
Someone may be thinking, I I don't want this baby right now in my life. It could be for some, there's a fear of having a child and maybe they are afraid of embarrassment. They're afraid of how others might think of them. It could be out of fear of trying to raise a child in this environment. Maybe she is a very young mother and doesn't want to face the difficulties of that. All of these are situations, but none of these are out of emergency or crisis. I think the only place we could find a conversation for terminating a baby is out of emergency and crisis. The rest of it comes into a completely different category, which is the bulk of all the abortions in the United States. The Bible says a lot about life in the womb. Three verses I'll read to you, one out of Psalms 139, 13, and it says, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. So in Psalms, it talks about how the body is shaped and is formed by God inside a mother's womb. In Psalms 22:10, it says, from my mother's womb, you have been my God. Like there was just from, from the inside, there's already a recognition of a child inside the womb of a mother. I love the verse in Luke 141. And this says that when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, so Mary, the mother of Jesus, Elizabeth, when she heard Mary, the baby inside of Elizabeth, it says leaped in her womb and it says Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. But notice that the baby the baby that was inside of her, when it heard the, the, the voice of Mary, the mother of Jesus, that baby leaped with inside of her. There was something that was interacting, something was happening, but there was a live baby inside of her. Now, I did hear some really great news in the area of abortion. And the good news is that the abortion numbers are actually falling and declining in America. That is great news. I saw a study that said that many millennials are now pro-life way more than their parents. And one of the reasons that they think that is happening is because of the development of the ultrasound equipment that is able to help show that there's a living baby inside of people. And so there's just a, a movement in the right direction in this area. And so that's exciting and it's, it's biblical, it's right, it's so good. I want you to know that there are viable options for parents today that is not abortion. There are viable options and the main one is adoption. There are families standing in line to adopt babies right now. And so I just want to say that there are always better options than killing a baby. Now, the argument's out there. Uh, we've heard it, it's been you know, brought to us, and the argument is pro-choice. Pro-choice, that's where a woman has the right to determine what she does with her body. And I'll be honest with you, I agree with pro-choice. Let me explain though. I believe the problem is in the argument of pro-choice and that she and a man already exercised their choice to have sex. They had their choice. When that choice was made, then inside of her begins this forming of a separate and unique person living inside of her. 
She has choice over her body, but once there's a baby, that's a separate person living inside of her and she doesn't carry choice over that other person living inside of her. Her freedom of self ends at the point of harming another human being. So when it comes to voting, I will not vote for any platform that uses my tax dollars to support any abortion clinic or health clinic such as Planned Parenthood. I will not vote for any platform that sends my tax dollars overseas to fund abortions in other countries. I will not support any platform that legalizes abortions, especially those platforms who desire to legalize abortions all the way up until the time of birth. I am voting for the right to life for the unborn baby. That's a biblical issue, not a political issue. So those are huge. I've jumped into some huge topics. Let me just jump into a couple others and we'll then finish out this day. But what I want to do ultimately is for you to think biblically about every issue in life, every issue in politics. Think biblically through a biblical worldview. Number three, I am voting to reduce poverty through job creation, business opportunities, and education. Work opportunities are better than expanded welfare dependencies. Understand what I said, dependencies. The government is not intended to be a support system for people who can work. It is a safety net for those who cannot work due to significant problems and setbacks in life. I seriously believe of Christians, we need a welfare system. We need to care. We need a, a significant welfare system for people who cannot work. As a nation, we should be the most compassionate nation on earth. And as Christians, we ought to support compassion we should be extremely compassionate. Like that ought to be in our, our mantra. We are compassionate. We are caring. We are loving. We care for people. We don't want anyone to be without basic essentials of life here on earth and in America. We want to help people who can work, find good jobs, start businesses, and pursue their financial dreams. So we want to help through welfare those who cannot work, but those who can work, we want to provide great opportunities for them. The government's role in helping poverty is to promote jobs, promote business ownership, education, and safety in the underdeveloped areas in our nation. The Bible says this. It says in 2 Thessalonians 3.10, it says, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Well, what the Bible is teaching here is personal responsibility. The government should not promote or enable government dependency, but it should promote and build equal opportunities for every single person in America to pursue work and business. And in those areas of greater poverty in America, there should be a greater focus from our government to promote the, the work and the business and the recovery in those areas. So as Christians, we should vote for compassionate help and accountable responsibility. I am voting 
to reduce poverty through job creation, business opportunities, and education. And this leads me to one final thought and really an easy conclusion based off of that last topic between capitalism and socialism. I'm voting for capitalism and not socialism. Socialism is equal distribution of wealth. Capitalism is equal distribution of opportunity. Socialism develops dependency on others and on government and it is a um, deterrent or a lack of initiative to take responsibility for our own life. Socialism is about bigger government and control and when fully realized, it grows into communism. Capitalism is about lesser government, lesser control, and fully realized it grows into freedom and liberty. Many people have stated that the church is an example of socialism, and they've used the verse out of Acts chapter two, verse 44, which says all believers were together and had everything in common. And so just from the snapshot of that, you might see that as a socialist type of culture. But the major difference of the early church was that they did not force anyone to share what they had. It was not a forced environment. It was not mandated by the church that they had to share what they had to help the needs of others. What the church did is it set a great example of generosity, but not of socialism. The Bible does not discourage wealth and personal possession. It discourages the love of money, but it doesn't discourage you from having money. God does not condemn wealth as the socialists do. So, wow. I don't know about you, but uh, that's a lot. And I, as I'm speaking about those topics, in some way I feel the, the weightiness of all of that but I believe it's biblical. And I believe it's so important for the church to vote according to biblical values. Let me close with this thought today, church. Many of us want God to bless America. If you want that, just I want God to bless America. Yes, God bless, I want that. I want that for our nation. But that requires us to be one nation under God, one nation submitted to God, one nation that has godly principles and godly values. You cannot have one without the other. You cannot have God bless America and unbiblical values being lived out everywhere. The Bible says in Psalms 33, 12, it says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And that's what we're standing for as followers of Christ, we are voting for a nation who makes our God the Lord through values and principles from party platforms. We should vote according to biblical values so that our nation will be blessed by God. So there you are, church. Let's, let's close with prayer today. I always wanna finish these topics and my message is through this for prayer for our nation, for our president, for the election process, and this for our country as a whole. Would you just bow your heads at your seat where you are? and Would you just join me in praying for our nation? Father, we thank you for
our country. We thank you that we have the ability to vote. We have freedom in our country. We thank you for those freedoms. Lord, we thank you that we get to participate in government and the political processes. Lord, we are all aware that our country is far from perfect. We're led by imperfect people and we just have weaknesses and Lord, that's why we're praying. We really wanna see our country become all that you've dreamed of her to be, God. Lord, we want our country to represent kingdom values. And I pray today that Christians all over America would vote in a way that best represents the values of the kingdom of God. Father, we lift up our current president, Donald Trump, and we continue to pray for him. We pray for his spiritual life. Uh, We ask for more of your presence and lordship in his life. We ask that you would cause him to lead our country by divine guidance, God. Bless him, bless his family, God. We pray for the election process, Lord, the presidential election. Lord, just please show us the right platforms and the issues to focus on and to help us to vote according to biblical values. And Lord, as I shared on values and and issues, God, there, there are others that could have been mentioned and talked about. So God, give us wisdom as Christians to know how to vote. Lord, we pray for both the candidates, President Trump and and former Vice President Biden during this election process. God, we pray that you would protect them from harm and sickness and strengthen them through all of this, God. Help them to share their, their platforms and their priorities for America so that we would know, Father, so we'd know what is our, our way to vote. And finally, Lord, we pray for our land, that it would be a place where you are glorified and its people live in peace and prosperity, God. We pray for your blessings on America. And God, we ask that you would stir up revival in our country. We ask that churches all over America would, would grow and, and be, be strong and they would flourish in the word of God. God, we ask that you would blow across our great land from coast to coast the winds of salvation. And so Lord, we pray these things today in the name of Jesus. Amen, amen. Thank you, church. I love you. We'll be back next week with one more round of God and Country. God bless.